How many people are ready for a word today? Awesome. So uh, we are actually going to be kicking off a new series today. I'm going to be preaching for the next four weeks, so today and then three more weeks uh, in this series. It's called Work is Good. Work is Good. I'm really excited about this. Um, been studying, preparing, and just digging in with the Lord for well over a year on this content, actually. And Lord just showed me some fresh things that have excited my spirit, and I, I pray, I believe it'll excite a lot of other people's spirits. The title of part one this morning, which might not make a lot of sense right away, but will as we go on, is work is worship. Work is worship. And what I have found, and studies prove this, you can look, universities have done studies, they say that the average person will spend about one-third of their lifetime in a workplace environment. That's pretty interesting. That's a lot of time. Would you agree? And so the thought just occurs to me when I see those statistics, that's a huge space of our lives. That's a major arena for people to interact in other relationships in their time here on earth. Yet what I've found, Adrian, is in people that I've talked with over the years, been in ministry now 10 years, church here five as senior pastor, but talked with lots of people. It's at least hundreds of people that I've spoke to about things that they struggle with. And I think the number one thing is usually relationships. Uh, but the second, probably the second thing is, is their career, their work, how they go about the things that they do for a living and the struggles that exist there. Many, many people go about their work as a drudgery. It's a dread. It's something that they want to avoid uh, something that they don't look forward to, can't wait to get out of, you know, can't wait for Friday, can't wait for retirement, like can't wait to get out of this place. And what if I was to say to you that that's not really a gospel picture, a gospel worldview of how we approach our work life? In fact, that word vocation that we have in the English comes from a Latin word, vocare, which was used in the Latin translation of the scriptures in the early centuries. It means a calling or summons. Perhaps God has a lot to say about this. (laughs) Perhaps God is actually very interested in what we do, more importantly, how we do it. I think that's the heart of this. And I I really believe that the potential exists in this seed right here to transform many workplace environments in our community over the next number of weeks. That's, That's really where my prayers are directed, that workplace environments would be radically transformed. I mean, you're either being drastically influenced and affected by your workplace environment, or you are drastically influencing, affecting your workplace environment. And so I'll ask you this question as we dig in today. Are you thriving? Are you thriving? Because I think that's the gospel picture. I think that's the biblical worldview. 
of what a child of God should look like in whatever they put their hand to do. Look, there's a lot of different kinds of careers, jobs. Nowadays, it'd be crazy to think somebody's going to have one job for their entire life. I mean, I know it does happen, but rarely anymore. Move around, right? People's gifts and abilities ought to grow, strengthen, get refined. They walk with the Lord. And as they do, opportunities become progressive. More doors open, more doors open, more doors open. One thing leads to another, to another, and to another. God's into promoting his people. And so there are a lot of different kinds of things, but I don't care what it is that you do. I don't care if it's digging ditches. I don't care if it's turning wrenches, swinging a hammer. I don't care if it's making sales. I don't care if it's crunching numbers. It's all sort of under this same picture that I believe God has for work and for labor. So work is good. Now, I'm going to give you three points today. I'm going to tell you the three points up front, just because I think it'll help, and we'll go along. But the three points have to do with what the gospel worldview of work is. And so the points are blessed, broken, redeemed. Blessed, broken, redeemed. Let's dig in. Genesis chapter 2. You're wondering, it's at the beginning of the book. Just open the first page. You're there. Easy to find. If I said Malachi, you'd probably be struggling, but you know. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It says, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He goes on to talk about the four rivers. Let's move down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Everybody say tend and keep. We're going to dig into that. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you today in Jesus' name, speak to us, God. Your words are life, and life abundantly. We ask that you would just bring those words to us this morning. Let that seed fall on good soil. I believe that soil has been tilled real well this morning. Let that seed, God, begin to germinate and take root. We are here for you and you alone. This is your house, Jesus. It's your name that we declare. There's no other name. There's no other gospel. There's no other king. This is your place. We're here for you. If you don't show up, God, what are we doing? (laughs) We want you. We need you. We're desperate for you. Would you speak to us today through your unchanging word in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Man, I'm fired up about this stuff. I got to tell you. So, God puts man in the garden to tend and to keep it. Make some observations. First of all, to keep implies stewardship and caretaking. So, this is amazing to me. God created something wonderful and beautiful, but he put man in charge of it. He gave him Stewardship. In fact, he gave him dominion and authority over it all in the beginning. 
He asked man to name the animals. Have you ever thought about this? Like, I mean, God could have named the animals. He did all the other stuff, right? But he asked man to name the animals. Basically, partnering, co-laboring with God in this task to take care of and steward God's wonderful creation. Man doesn't own anything. God owns it all, yet God empowers man and entrusts man to steward it and care for it, to keep it, look over it, make sure it's well. He also says that he asked him to tend it, listen to this, which is to cultivate, to work, or to serve by labor. That's pretty powerful. But here's the thing I want you to catch that I think a lot of people miss. Is that this idea of work and labor for God, with God, was a part of paradise. It pre-existed sin. See, many people feel like sin, like this idea of work and drudgery came along through sin. And we're going to talk about that in a second. It affected it. But the amazing reality is that work and labor for God, with God, preceded that. It was a part of paradise. It was a part of God's perfect design. So that's point number one. Blessed is work was originally designed good because it was created good by a good God in its original design. It was untainted. That puts a new perspective on things. I want to challenge you a little bit today and through these weeks to to allow your mind not to be restricted by potentially preconceived views or definitions of how you would describe work. Because I think it's a way bigger picture when we dive into the Bible's view of that. And so it's a way that we serve God. It's a way that we labor, co-labor with God, partner with Him to do things He's calling us to do. He says, as man does this, and he's in the garden, it produces fruit, it grows, it, it, it flourishes. He says, man, it would be pleasant in his sight, and it would be food for him. So let me say this. Your work, labor, service to God, it is absolutely meant to be productive Fruitful, multiplying, increasing, fulfilling, purposeful, and sustaining for you and yours and what God's calling you to do. You're meant to have abundance. You're meant to flourish. You're meant to be productive and fruitful, and it ought to be sweet for you. You ought to enjoy it. You ought to love it. You ought to love it because of who you're doing it for. And if we're not viewing what we do that way, it'd be real easy for people to walk around. Oh, man, another day. The time is, oh, my gosh, it's only been 30 minutes. Oh, my God, that (laughs) clock can't move fast enough. That's drudgery. It's not the garden picture. That's not work in paradise. That's not part of God's original design. I don't know if you know this. Did you know God works? Think about it for a second. I mean, he worked in creation for six days. That's real clear. On the seventh day, he stepped back and looked at it all and said, it is good. I mean, the psalmists tell us 
that God is watering the hillsides and the mountaintops of the earth. He's feeding the animals and creation. He's keeping the planets in orbit in space. In fact, if he took his finger off of any of it for even a moment, it'd become utter chaos and disorder. God is working. And we are created in his, what? Image. So work in its original state was blessed and meant to be joyful and purposeful for man and be a part of how he would relate to and trust God with the plot that he had given him. Say it one last way before we move on to the next point. Man was not created for work. God created man, and then he, and then he created the garden, and then he put him in the garden. Man was not created for work. Work was created for man. Actually, to bless him. Wow, that's a profound thought. To bless him. To be a beautiful part of our life and relationship with God. To co-labor and partner with him. So why do people struggle so much? Why are there so many folks running around in their workplace environment, 30 plus years, one third of their lives, and it becomes so compartmentalized, like this is this dreadful area of their life, and then, you know, I got my other life that I enjoy, and one third of that is rest and sleep, so that's kind of depressing when you think about it, but what, what if work, labor, service to God, this third of our life, what if that actually is filled with total untapped potential by our creator to unlock incredible things in and through us to advance the kingdom and purposes of God. Because God left creation in a state where it was with untapped potential for man to cultivate and do things with. Oh, I don't know if this is blowing your mind, but it blows my mind when I think about that. A paradigm shift in overhaul in the way we view work, labor, and service. So why is it all messed up? I think the reason is because of what happened next. Go to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17. It says, this was after sin, and after what we describe as the fall of man. And then Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. See, I knew it wasn't good for me to listen to her all the time. Oh, getting in trouble, getting in trouble. Right. Because I'm just reading scripture. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Listen to what happened. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, you remember just a little bit ago, he's talking about how blessed the ground is. And Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you'll eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are to dust you shall return. So basically, we see that sin brings with it the curse, and then the curse affects everything in the world. Man is now separated from God. In fact, 
man was banished from the garden after that. This is crazy, but there's still cherubim guarding the gate with flaming swords of fire of the Garden of Eden. In Revelation, we see that the tree of life reappears in eternity. So there's a fully restored state that God's still yet to bring back to the children of God. That's encouraging. But he was banished from the garden, so curse affected everything. Man became separated in his relationship from God's presence, the way he related to God. The earth itself becomes subject to decay, fizzling out. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth one day when God restores all things. And work, labor, service for God, it was affected by the curse as well. See that. And so, part of what it says is that thorns and thistles will start to creep in and make it difficult, frustrate us, make it toilsome. That which was originally beautiful in its design and perfect is now been affected by the curse of sin. I don't know about you, but I get real irritated by thorns and thistles. Who are, oh, I'm sorry, what are thorns and thistles for you? I know in my house, you know, you cut the grass and time of year, it happens really, really fast, right? It comes up quick, Adrian knows. And when you're done cutting, it's beautiful. The grass and the, the good grass, it's all lush, it looks great. But pastor guy, I don't care what I do, I can't keep those doggone weeds from coming back. I mean, they just keep creeping back in. You can spray them, you can cut them. I've even tried uprooting patches of them, and they just keep coming back. But thorns and thistles became a part of work and labor. Now the enemy is using thorns and thistles to try to frustrate man in his spirit as he goes about his work and his labor and what God might use him and call him to do. And he's trying to prevent man from finding fulfillment and joy and purpose in his labor. And he's using thorns and thistles to do that. What do thorns and thistles look like for you? Is it the long commute to and from work every day in traffic? Is it the group of people that you're surrounded by, perhaps that you can't get away from? Is it maybe just the work you do, you hate, you don't enjoy it? I don't know what it is, but... The point is that there is a reality we see that thorns and thistles are a part of this earthly environment now. They, they are involved in the work process. But as we're going to see, we get to our third point about redeem, God's done some things to bring this thing back into order where we could still be fruitful, productive, and multiply, be fulfilled and purposeful in our work and labor, and overcome the threatening encroachment of thorns and thistles. They're going to come, but we should still be fruitful, productive, and abundant, and be fulfilled and purposeful. And I think many, many have allowed thorns and thistles to cause them to miss this whole huge other space of productivity for the kingdom. What if God wants to redeem that? 
What if God wants to restore our view of work? What if he wants to restore the way we approach work? If that's the case, it'd make no sense for us to take a pass on the way we live our lives in our work environment and see that as a separate place where we can't be effective for God, where we can't be fulfilled and enjoy. Would you agree with me on that? It's a huge part of our lives. And God has a plan to bring redemption. That's point number three is redeem. Redeem is about something being exchanged or restored back. That is the gospel message. Man was created with a perfect design. Things were created in perfect design. Broken by sin and messed it all up. Jesus fixed it. And he's fixing it. He's restoring things back. He's the restorer of all things. He is our redeemer. <laughs> so think about this. Man was separated from relationship with God through the curse of sin. Jesus comes along, he redeems us. Those who are bought by the blood of the Lamb, and you have to hear that, and you have to believe that. You hear that, and you believe that Jesus is Lord. You receive redemption, and you are restored back to presence and fellowship with God. You see that? He fixes that. We're in a, we're in a redeemed state now, but the way the Bible describes it in this earthly environment, because we know sin and the curse is still out there in, in the worldly environment. The way the Bible describes our redemption is that it's like a down payment or a deposit on more that's yet to come. So we are restored to presence and fellowship and relationship with God, but in heaven and in glory, it reaches its pinnacle of fulfillment in the way we are restored back. So I'm going to talk about our work. We have a beautiful, perfect design of laboring with God for God and cultivating and being productive for Him in our labor, and then we see a broken state because of sin. Jesus restores or redeems us, and now the way we work, how we work, go about it, the, the effects and the outcome of that can be restored and redeemed in our lives as well. Our minds can be restored, can't they? God says, I'll transform your mind so that your thoughts will begin to become more in line with my thoughts. So Jesus wants to restore and redeem all these parts and these things of our life, including how we work and go about our labor for him. Redemption. He's the master of it. I don't know if you knew this, but we'll work in heaven. Did you know that? Some people are like, oh my gosh, you have got... I'm ready to hang the tool belt up, man. No, I... I... I don't want to be framing those mansions. They're big. They're big. But, you know, probably not the way that we would think about it, of course, like if we have a narrow definition of work. But listen to this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 says this. This is obviously the end of the book. <laughs> there shall be no more curse. Praise God for that. You see that? The curse is kind of still hovering over the earth, but redeemed children of God now have authority over the things the curse brings while they live in this earthly environment. He says, there shall be no more curse. This is in the eternal age. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. 
service and work for God. The prophet Isaiah tells us in the 65th chapter, he's clearly speaking about the millennial era. He tells us that we will be, listen to this, we'll build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. God says, my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain. This is in the millennial era that he's describing prophetically. We know that the Bible talks about, in many instances, the idea of a reign with Christ for the saints, a restored dominion and authority over the new heaven and the new earth. And so basically what I'm trying to tell you is there is a beautiful design in God's perfection, and it was good. It was tainted by sin. Jesus restores us. He restores all things. And then we're on our way to the perfect perfect fulfillment of this thing when we get to heaven. But while we're here right now, God could really bless and multiply your fruitfulness for him in your workplace environment if you allow him to redeem and restore perhaps that view of work that we have. Now let me give you the last point, and I've saved this one for the end because for me it's the best. And it's the title of today's message, Work is Worship. So that word in the Hebrew that we talked about to till, to cultivate, to work, serve. See that through Genesis quite a bit. There's another meaning for it. It's worship. There's another meaning for it. So when God called Moses to go into Egypt, to bring the people out of Egypt, in fact, if you were here just a couple months ago, you remember the series, uh, His Presence? Remember the mountain of God that we talk about? So when Moses went and got the people out of Egypt and brought them back to the mountain of God, one translation says, bring them here and you will serve me on this mountain. Now listen to what another translation says about the word serve. This is in Exodus 3, verse 12, NIV. God said, I'll be with you, Moses. This will be a sign to you. I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. Serve, worship. So what am I saying? Work. If we see it, if we get it, the way we do it, and who we do it for, it actually becomes an act of worship. And when we do, the Bible says, everything that you do, do it unto the glory of God. And when you do that unto the glory of God, listen to what it says in Corinthians, your labor shall never be in vain. I don't care if you're hitting a nail, digging a ditch, or making some huge sale. If you're doing it for the Lord and you're presenting it to him, not unto man, but unto God as an act of worship, it is a sweet aroma to our God. And he will bless it. You see, God has redeemed these things for us. And we can walk in that redemption. It's up to us. Will work be worship? Let me say it this way. Will your workplace and the marketplace become a worship environment? I mean, the Bible says we are called to effuse the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. What better place than somewhere most people spend one-third of their life. 
If we're not effusing the aroma of Christ, I wonder, what are we effusing? <laughs> oh, that's a child of God, right? <laughs> I hate it too. We can be the change. <laughs> Listen, say it this way too. For some people, you probably do need to get out of where you are. For some people, you probably do need to leave. It's a dead field. It, it happens. But for a lot of people, that's not really the problem. For a lot of people, you need your view of work. Redeemed, restored, needs to become worship, service to God for you. And perhaps, just maybe, you need to be the catalyst for a changed environment where you are right now. Amen? It's so much more than a paycheck. It's so much more than a paycheck. And so many people view it as just that. It's my means of survival. It's a necessary evil. Couldn't be more wrong in the eyes of God. I mean, I think to view work as worship, to present it to God, is our way of doing it for him and to him and see how he can make it fruitful. Work is worship. I, I don't think that there is a loftier thought or view towards our work than that. Jesus, our Redeemer, John has restored these things for us and offers by way of invitation. Will you walk and live in this redemption? You have to hear it. Believe it, have faith, then God's grace empowers you to walk that out. See, that's what it's all about. I can't do that on my own. But if I see it, I believe it, and I have faith for it every day, wherever I go. God, his grace will empower me because faith activates grace. The author of Hebrews says this, and I'll close here. Verse uh, 9, chapter 4. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. So you can go about your work in your own strength. You can go about your work with your own plans. You can go about your work to serve yourself. And many do. But that's not what he's talking about right here. He says, there's a rest available in me. And those who find it, they've ceased from their works. Meaning, I'm no, I'm no longer doing what I do by my own strength. I'm no longer frustrated in my spirit. I'm no longer toiling and agonizing over what I'm doing. Yeah, there's thorns and thistles, but I'm prevailing. There's abundance and fruitfulness, and I'm using this to serve and worship God, and it'll never be in vain. 
Jesus says, come to me if you're weary, you're burdened, you're weighed down. Are you frustrated? Are you agonizing? Are you walking through work as drudgery? Jesus says, fall back in my arms. I've rest for your soul. If you let me do this with you, if you treat this as worship, you'll operate from a place of strength and rest that you could never know on your own. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Hallelujah. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. You're a good God. Everything you do is good. Hallelujah. We give you praise in this place today, Lord. Would you redeem our view of work, restore it. Hallelujah. Draw many to you, God. Hallelujah. You are the Redeemer. You are our Redeemer, Jesus. Those who are here today who say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus this way. I want to be redeemed. I want my work to be restored. I want, I want everything I do to be under God's grace and empowerment. I'm telling you today, Jesus came to fulfill the greatest act of redemption that the world has ever known. You say, I, if I died today, I'm not sure that I would be in heaven. Jesus offers you assurance for that. In fact, if I could appeal to you for a moment, there's no more significant question or thing that you will ever be faced with this side of eternity. Then what will you do with Jesus? Will you accept him? Will you receive him? Will you make him Lord? The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God loves you. He came to die for you. He wants you back in his arms. He wants a relationship with you. you say, I'll give my heart to him today. I'll turn from the world and everything I know and turn entirely to Jesus. If that's your prayer, you mean that in your heart. Say that to God. Cry out to him and he will fill you with his spirit and he will bring everlasting life into you. You will know his grace and his goodness and he will lead you and guide you into all things that he has planned for you. We want to help you in that journey and in that walk. That's what the church is there for, to raise up the saints that they may accomplish the things God has purposed them to do. I could say it like this. We are here to raise up game changers. Amen. Let's praise God before we go out of here today. He led me out of the desert get to his river of living water and turn my bitter into sweet. All my burdens are lifted. Come on. He took the shackles off my feet. There's no sound louder than the captain said free so let the redeemed of the Lord
said, are you thriving? Are you interacting? But most of all, come on church, we got to be a worshiping church no matter what's going on, amen? You're dismissed. Don't forget about our picnic today after second service at Lakeview Park. Come out and join us. Come on and interact with some people and worship, okay? Have a blessed day.